Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone. It's Nick here, and welcome to another episode of Scale Up Your Business. So today, I'm delighted to bring back the Entrepreneur in Focus series. For those of you who've been listening for some time, you'll know that that's actually the first, I suppose, series within the podcast that I launched, where I wanted to bring people onto the show just to give their perspective on the entrepreneurial journey that they've been on, you know, the challenges, the opportunities, all of that stuff. So today I am delighted to have Jeff Fenster on the show. Now, Jeff, wow, this this guy is a bundle of energy. (laughs) So much so that when I do my interviews, I always like to to kind of you know let people kind of tell their story and and his story just was was so full on, so cool. I just wanted to let it go and go. So you're going to get a great definition of you know serial entrepreneurship in the first part of uh, of the episode. But but listen intently as we go through because Jeff's done a heap of things. He started multiple businesses. He sold multiple businesses. He's got lots of the components that I look for when you when you see people being successful in business scale up. He's got a clear vision, lots of energy, a great a great way of thinking about the 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 concept of building teams and building culture. I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and as I said, I know that just to listen to his story, listen to his his values, listen to the, some of the really strong principles around how he has grown, you know, some amazing businesses, you know, as I said you're going to get a lot out of the show. So, without further ado, welcome to Scale Up Your Business, Jeff Fenster. Hi everyone, it's Nick here and welcome to another episode of Scale Up Your Business. I am delighted to have with me today, Jeff Fenster. Now, I'm going to let Jeff introduce himself in a second, but we are back with the Entrepreneur in Focus series and Jeff is a self-proclaimed serial entrepreneur, right? So, you're in the right place, Jeff. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Huge fan of the show. So it's always an honor and exciting when I actually get to participate in a show that I'm such a big fan of. So thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, no, no problem at all. We're very, very good to have you here. Let's, let's kick off and let's get the audience to uh, learn a little bit about you. So tell us your story. You can go back as long as you want to really, but just, you know, serial entrepreneur, what do you mean by that? How did you come to, to sort of coin that title? Well, it's funny because I might call myself a serial entrepreneur. My wife will call me a degenerate entrepreneur. So I just like the more sophisticated term. Uh, But to be honest, I had no desire to or knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, I went to law school to be a sports agent and graduated law school, was going to be a sports agent. And I ended up having a baby my last year in law school. So when I graduated law school, um, I had this little little daughter and I didn't really want to travel around the world. Uh, managing adults and dealing with having to always be on their beck and call and miss my child, my child's childhood. Yeah. Um, so I pivoted and didn't know what I was going to do. And so I got a job selling payroll services with a major company called ADP and was doing that to pay off law school loans. And I was actually engaged. So I was going to pay for my, my wedding and my child and needed to make some money. And I was there for six months 
Um, during the six months, I was fortunate enough to be the number one sales rep in the country out of over 2,000 sales reps. So I found success doing wow, it. Wow, awesome. Yeah, and it was cool. And, I, and really, I was able to use what turned out to now be the foundation of all of my businesses and my principles of making friends and having fun. And those are my two business rules in life. But that's what I used to sell payroll, which was I went out and I made a lot of friends. And by doing that, I was able to sell payroll services. People liked me. They were willing to bet on me. And I was able to, to have really rapid success. Um, so it was January 2008. And I went to my boss because I earned this very high bonus that was an annual goal. And I was going to get $17,000. So I went to my boss in January and said, I earned it. Can I please have it? And they informed me I had to wait to the end of the fiscal year, which was June 30th. And I'd get it the third week of July. And I, as I mentioned, I had six figures in law school loans. I was engaged. I just bought a house. Me and my wife, our fiance had just moved in. We were getting married. I had a baby. So I said, listen, I really need the money. I can't wait six months. Um, what can I do to get it? And they told me nothing. These are annual goals. You just happen to accelerate the path to get there. But most people don't get there till the end of the year. You got to wait. Well, I was 24 and in the heat of the moment, I threatened to quit and they called my bluff. So I went home and I told my fiance, I want to sell the house, move in with my mom and dad and start my own payroll business. What do you think? And uh, how, old you, how old your daughter at this stage? Uh, she was about a, she was just a, about a year old. Wow. Okay. Yes. Okay. Cool. And, cool. Keep going. Keep going. And I can tell you, I'm thankful she was my fiance at the time because uh, she was very supportive. You know, obviously if I was married 10 years, it might be a different story, but um, <laughs> she agreed. And I quit the very next day, sold my house, moved in with my mom and dad, my fiance and daughter, and started a payroll company with a buddy out of my mom's kitchen called iChecks, um, knowing that I could sell the service and knowing that I could sell it. And I'd figure out how to do this business thing on the side and, and hopefully it was going to work out. Um, and that's what happened. And so I ended up growing that with my partner and we ended up raising some private equity capital, changed the name to Canopy HR, sold it in 2012 or end of 11, 2012. Um, while I was there, because of using my philosophy of making friends and having fun, I really made friends with all of my clients again. And when I understood, I happened to start my company at the height of the recession. So my timing was perfect. Uh, not really. Um, but more importantly, how I made money was by selling payroll services. So for every check a company paid an employee, I made a couple of dollars. So the more employees they have, the better for me and the better for them. Well, understanding that talent wasn't changing jobs in the height of the recession and the unemployment rate was so high that the pool of unemployed was so big, it was hard to, to filter. Um, so understanding my client's biggest need was finding good talent. I started a recruiting agency on the side just to help my clients find more talent so I could sell them more payroll checks. So this wasn't, this wasn't part of the business. It wasn't like a side, like a division, if you want to call it that of your core business. This was no, a totally different business. Totally side business. I had a buddy who was in recruiting and I said to him, listen, how about we start this thing? You do all the recruiting because this is what you're good at, but all you have to do is serve my clients and there'll be plenty of business for us. And we agreed on it and he did it and um, it was great. And so I built this side business and I started to understand and learn more about entrepreneurship this way, which I'm telling you this because this is the foundation of where I am now. When I sold my payroll business, I then sold the recruiting agency six months later because I had no need for it. Um, and then after that, I came to the realization that one of the challenges as an entrepreneur I had was I had to raise money through professional money, private equity, venture capital. It was not a fun experience at the time. Um, it was the height of the recession. It's very teethy and sharky and 
Um, they're sophisticated. I was very less sophisticated. So I was always operating from a position of, of weakness and they were always coming at me with extra resources and things sounded good, but I didn't, I didn't know the long game, the strategy, so to speak. Um, so there's this concept of equity based crowdfunding, which was illegal. Uh, it was illegal for me to solicit micro investments from the majority of mass of people. I either had to have a pre-existing relationship with someone or you had to be an accredited investor worth your net worth over a certain amount. So I started a company called Equity Circle with the idea to help legalize equity-based crowdfunding. And the concept there was I'd rather raise $100 from 1,000 people and raise $100,000 than raise $100,000 from one person because that one person is, number one, it's harder to meet that person. And number two, they're more sophisticated and they might not understand or they might have different uh, rules. So um, it was great. We, we got a ton of signatures. We were leading the charge. Um, I'll tell you, my company failed, but my mission succeeded. Uh, so you legalized. Like, so you wanted to make this, this legal, basically, this correct. concept of investment. Correct. And, and, and you see it today with Kickstarter and GoFundMe. Yeah. And these are all crowd-based funding platforms, one for charity, one for experience. I wanted to do it for equity. Um, and I will say this, it did become legal, equity-based crowdfunding. But once it became legal, I realized I made the cardinal mistake of I focused too much on my mission and not enough on my technology. So as soon as it became legal, I realized there were about 25 other platforms better than mine for companies like mine to go to, to now utilize this service I helped legalize. So I spent a good year of my life making no money, promoting and, and pushing forward this cause. And we got, you know, hundreds of thousands of signatures and we're really part of it. Um, it was fun, but it was a failure. And this all has kind of been my journey. And then from there, I realized I wanted to work from a computer because the digital marketing, uh, the computer wasn't going anywhere. And my second baby was born and I wanted to be home more. And so I figured the computer's a good place to work. So I said, okay, I'm going to start a digital marketing agency. And my wife says, you don't even know how to turn on a computer. I was like, I know, but I'll figure that part out. Let's just worry about starting a digital marketing <laughs> agency. So um, I went to a buddy of mine named Pat Flynn, who is pretty renowned online. Um, and he, this was 2012. And I said, listen, you have a website called Smart Passive Income. I'll pay you $10,000 a month to teach me how to use a computer and make money. And he's like, Jeff, it sounds great, but the name of my business is Smart Passive Income. <laughs> and it's not passive if I'm teaching you. Um, so you should meet a guy named Neil Patel. And I said, who's Neil Patel? And he's like, Oh, you need to meet Neil Patel. So I said, okay. So he tells me who he is. And I went to the internet and I learned, Oh wow, I do want to meet Neil Patel. He's a rock star. So Pat made an introduction. And before I called Neil and had my meeting, I wanted to be different because I'm assuming there's a million guys like me who want to meet Neil Patel and work with him. And I don't know anything about computers. So why is he going to want to work with me? And so I, I had to think a little more abstractly. And I said, okay, what am I really good at? Well, I'm good at making friends and selling stuff. He's really good at digital marketing. So I went out and I sold a pretty large company, a six figure a year digital marketing contract under the condition that it was all upside. So they paid me nothing if we weren't successful. But I knew that with Neil's help, we'd be successful. So I then went to Neil and said, Neil, I'm going to pay you six figures to join me on this company. I already sold our first client and we're going to make a lot of money together. And he's like, what's your name? And I'm like, oh, by the way, I'm Jeff. Nice to meet you. Um, and I think just the way I approached him was so unique and different that he then ended up meeting me. We ended up partnering together. He's one of my very closest friends. We worked together for five years. We grew a nice digital marketing arm, uh, handled some very large websites. He went off to start Neil Patel Digital after me. 
um, is doing great. I, we, I stopped in 2015 and was kind of driving my wife and kids crazy for a little while. And then they said, go do something. And then I launched Everbowl, which is a, a restaurant chain where we serve craft superfood. And I can tell you the day I said to my wife and kids and parents, I want to start a restaurant. They told me, Jeff, you don't know how to cook. And I said, I know. And my wife's like, all you do in the kitchen is eat and make a mess. And I'm like, that's true. And she's like, so how are you going to start a restaurant? And I think I've been telling you this story to get to this point, which is my core belief is experience is the most overrated prerequisite to starting a company. Um, Because nine out of 10 restaurants fail. That was the stat my dad hit me with. And I said, you're right, dad. And then my mom said, but you have no experience. I said, you're right, mom, but, but hold on. If I had experience, then I'd be experienced to go do what everyone else is doing. And nine out of 10 times, I'm going to fail because I'm following the same path of experience that fails 90% of the time. So me not having experience is a benefit here because I can find chefs, I can find ways to cook, but there's a business behind a restaurant. And restaurants fail because good restaurateurs aren't necessarily good businessmen and women. They're good chefs, they're good in the kitchen. I'm good at business, so therefore the business fundamentals are gonna be strong. I gotta figure out how to find food or, or something that's gonna attract customers. And so I approach problems from a very different way, which is I like to come into new industries with fresh eyes and disruption and leverage making friends and having fun to surround myself with experts and talented people who want to get behind the vision and we grow companies together. I'm going to, I'm going to stop you for a second because I've let you go deliberately. Right. (laughs) And the reason is I'm going to call it out now because I'm going to call it out to the audience. This everybody is a serial entrepreneur. (laughs) <laughs> right, so we didn't get a definition because we didn't need a definition. We just heard maybe three, four years max, if I get my timeline right, of you know doing something, going all in, in on it, you know, creating value, obviously exiting, making some money. Next thing comes along, you just gave us the prototypical kind of you know almost stereotype, man. I don't want to, I don't want to make that sound like a downplay of what you've done. It's awesome, but you just went for it, so your energy level was through the roof as well. Yeah. I mean, really, yes. If I go in, I'm all in. Um, And I think that's the most important thing for anyone who's going to start a company is you have to be prepared to be passionate about it and go all in because you're competing with someone else who is. And and that's the difference. Like success is not, I don't believe success is uh, this abstract thing that's hard to find. I believe it's just a formula that when you have passion and hard work and you put all of yourself into something, you will find success. Whether that success is what you thought it is from when you started or it gets pivoted along the journey, I can't tell you the answer to that because that's going to be more, like I said, I failed. My equity circle company failed, but my mission and where my passion was, was to actually legalize equity-based crowdfunding. So my passion was not in my technology, ergo my technology failed. My company failed. But if you knew me and looked back in, with 2020 hindsight, you would say, Jeff, but your real passion was actually to legalize equity-based crowdfunding, which you were successful in doing. So I was all in and passionate about one thing, and I was successful in that, but my company failed because my alignment of my passion and my business were not... Were not what, you, uh, what you focus on gets done. So you focused on one objective and you achieved it. So there Correct. you go. Yeah. So tell me, t- tell me how, okay, and you may not be able to... Well, I think you'll be able to answer this. Where did your mindset come from here? So you know, if you go back before you did this, right, because obviously the, this is not just random luck, you know, you've, you've developed, you know, a positive mindset, obviously a go-getting attitude, all the things that we've just seen for the last 10 minutes or so, where did that come from? 
probably my childhood. Um, I was always into sports and I was always small. Um, I started high school, I was like 5'4", 120 pounds. And I played running back in football. Um, and I had that little dog syndrome of I was always looked down. Like everyone thought I wasn't going to be good at it because I was small and little. And then I had that, I don't want to give myself credit like Rudy, but I had that Rudy mindset of I will overcome that and I'll show you. Um, and, you know, I was always, uh, I was always, I always had charisma as a kid, so I never had a problem making friends, but I always had a problem feeling like I was less than. Okay. And so just wanting to compete in sports and play, I always had to put forth more effort. And I think that what I started to learn was, um, and there's a famous quote, you know, 19 people said it, so I don't know who to give credit to, but it's not me, um, that hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And I learned that early on, that if I wanted to play football with all these big guys, I had to work harder than them. If I wanted to play baseball at the competitive level, there were guys that were just naturally bigger and stronger and faster than me. I had to work harder than them. And so when I understood that, that working hard was the foundation of it and I embraced it, it became easy to work hard. Like I don't know any other way. So if I'm in, I'm all in. And if I'm out, I'm all out. Um, if I'm laying on a beach, I'm laying on a beach, but if I'm working, I'm working. And, and I think that now fast forward into the professional life of an adult, um, I think it's hard for a lot of people because they're not loving what they do. And so I beat a lot of people who don't love what they do because for them it's work for me. It's what I'm passionate about. It's not work for me to get up and go build my company. I love it. Besides my family and health and wellness, industry, startups, business, entrepreneurship is like truly my passion. So yeah. I love it. So it, it's, it gives me a I often say that to people. I mean, I say, cause people ask me this all the time. They say, Oh, you know, we talk a lot about financial freedom and, and what, whatever the concept of that is, it's different for different people. But I always say, I'm never going to, I don't, I don't believe in retirement because if you love what you do, and you're focused on it. You, you, know, you love what you do. If you're passionate, you focus, you're going to get some success, right? Because you're not going to give up. It's not a thing that you have to do because someone's told you to do it or you think you should. It's something you get up every single day and you're energized, right? And so ultimately, if that's, if that's your um, psychology and your approach, you are going to be successful. So I don't believe retirement for me is something, <laughs> it's a weird concept, isn't it? When you think, when you, when you do similar stuff like you and I do, retirement's weird. So what, why are you even going down this route? You're retiring. It feels like there's a there's this goal to get to something because you kind of don't really like where you currently are. Correct. Yeah. And, and my my attitude is when I don't like or love what I'm doing anymore, I do something else, which is hence the serial term versus the lifer term. Yeah. I more have entrepreneurial ADD, and and that might be a weakness to some, but I like to turn my weaknesses into my strengths and and say how can I take this what is considered a weakness? And I realize like if I was an employee and I was wired to be an employee, I would be a job hopper. I would probably jump from company to company every three to five years because I'd get tired of the status quo and the same. And when I'm not problem solving and developing and solving challenges, and it just becomes optimizing at a very minute level where it's like, we're just like big companies like Google. Well, maybe not Google, they're not a good example, but uh, a Microsoft where, where you're, you're, you're just moving the sales just a little bit to find small optimizations, which compounded across scale is enormous growth. Um, that's boardroom stuff. That's not me. I'm the backwards hat. Want to come in. Let's start an idea. Take an idea. Let's build it. Let's find out. Let's trailblaze. Let's test. Let's fail fast. Let's win big. Let's have fun. Once you're away from that, I lose my interest. And luckily I'm in a position to be an entrepreneur and do and understand my strengths. But you know, again, it's for me, it's the same thing. Like I, retirement to me is 
I mean, that's, I don't know what that is. Like, <laughs> you I, and I are quite, you know, what's funny, right? Because as we have the conversation, uh, most of my listeners know this, you and I are quite different, right? So I'm not the guy who has the ignition, you know, who, who sets the rocket up with all the kind of energy and, and blast. I'm normally the guy that comes in when someone's done what you've done yes. and has hit the scale up journey and gone, holy shit. Where am I? <laughs> this isn't what I wanted to do. This is now really hard. I've got to do. I've got to build a team. I've got processes. Ah! And then I normally come in and go, "Let's just simplify the whole thing." And now we're going to get it to the next level. But I've never been. I've never been great at the creative piece. But I've been really good at the kind of growth and fast scale piece. So it's quite interesting to hear you describe it. Question for amazing that, that. But I want to touch on that because I think that's so important and. I grew as an entrepreneur and, and I didn't have this mindset early in my career with the payroll business that I learned, which is I used to have an ego that wouldn't let me appreciate what you just said. Once I realized what I am and what I'm not, mm -hmm. I realized that I need to find people like you to come and help me at a certain point because I am going to hit my ceiling of where I add value. And one of my sayings now for my personal development and growth is I want to be the dumbest guy in the room and surround mm -hmm. myself with amazing people who are better than me. And yep. know that, look, I am good at taking zero to, to something, but then there's a point where I need someone like you, your expertise to come in, because I'm no longer the best qualified person to run the company. And for the company's sake, I want to partner, sell, uh, invite, uh, hire, whatever the right framework is for each situation, someone like yourself, who is the expert to now take this company to the next level, and then I would either join you with the ride at some point, or cheer on from the sideline but but it's so important as an entrepreneur whatever scale you and stage you are to understand your limits and your strengths and find a way to position yourself to the company at the right time yeah it's a fabulous point it's, i know it's it's funny cuz that point around identity and and the person who can start a business is not necessarily the person who can scale it now i often say it doesn't mean necessarily that you have to then change and bring people in, right? It can actually be sometimes, I've seen it work sometimes where let's say someone like you who's really, really good at kind of getting these business up and we're really creative, get them going, all the energy can also pivot into what's needed next. Um, but it, it is, if I'm, if I'm honest about it, the exception to the rule. Yeah. Yeah. And, and because I, the truth is it would be hard. It'd be hard for me unless there was still like, if you, if, if it was like, Jeff, look, we, we want you to stay on, we want you to do this, but we're gonna put all this around you. You still have, I still have to be inspired every day and passionate. Yeah, so as long as I don't lose the passion, which is hard unless there's still room for me to grow and build from scratch and less framework and structure and process, because those are bad words to a guy like me. <laughs> See, I say, I say structure and process creates freedom. So there you go, that's very different. <laughs> the question I was gonna ask you, because you know, literally in the space of about what, three, four years, you had three, four businesses. How do you um, remain, how do you keep the discipline to not keep looking for the next thing? Because each of those businesses is different. So is there a point where you get a business at a certain point and you have to sort of say, actually, I'm not ready to look at something else yet? Or, at that point, do you constantly look, you know, that's the point for you to leave. You know, that's the point where you have to move on. Uh, well, so I, I, I mean, each one, what they didn't overlap. So if I made it sound like they did, I, I butchered the timeline, but it was about three to four years of the payroll and recruiting agency yep. isolated. Then it was a year of equity circle. And then it was about three and a half, four years of the digital marketing. And then now I'm at three and a half years of Everbull. What I figured out was, and this is where now I can stay a little longer and, and extend my lifeline in a company. But I, I never look ahead when I'm in something. I'm not always looking for something else. Um, 
I start looking for something else when I feel like I can't add any more value that, that I've reached the maximum growth that I can do because there's a, now there's a different mindset for the company. Um, so with Everbull specifically, and this is a concept that, that I'm using a lot now, and, and I think it's so valuable for entrepreneurs of any size to really look within, and I'm speaking about it at conferences um, as I position more into a speaking role around the, around the country now, um, and that is vertical integration. Um, mm -hmm. So I use a concept called vertical integration of multiple startups to solve my business problems. And to give you an example, when I opened my first restaurant, Everbowl, it cost me over $200,000 to build the restaurant. Well, Everbowl's goal, my problem that I want to solve with Everbowl was the healthy eating issue of why people in America specifically are not eating healthy. When we understand that lifestyle, what we eat and lack of movement is the direct cause of over 80% of heart disease, stroke, obesity, and cancers that are plaguing us so dramatically. Well, one of those four excuses that people, I narrowed it down to four excuses people make to why they don't eat healthy. One is it costs too much. One is it doesn't taste good. One is it doesn't fill you up and leave you satisfied. Or the last one is they can't get it. They have a short window for lunch or dinner and they go to a shopping center and it's not available. It's fast food. Okay. So I need to build a lot of Everbowls to solve the accessibility problem, but it costs too much money. So the old me would have raised a lot of money to go build a lot of restaurants. The new me said, wait, what's my superpower? My strength is starting companies. So I started my own construction company called WeBuild, and WeBuild only builds Everbowls, kind of like I'd learned with my recruiting business. To, to supplement my existing core business, I started a side business that's owned by Everbowl. This is not a completely separate one. This is wholly owned by Everbowl, uh, whose sole purpose was to manufacture, fabricate, install Everbowl locations so I could build them at scale for much less. So it went from over $200,000 for the first one to now I build them for around $50,000 a store. So that allowed me to grow four units at the same time that I only was able to build one and allowed us to have record growth where we opened 28 units in three years and wow. became nationally recognized for how fast we were growing and winning awards um, and allowed me to penetrate my market and grow and scale like I never would have before while allowing me, the degenerate entrepreneur, to have so much fun building this little business that's now grown into a big business that's building my Everbowls and enabling me now to offer franchises for pennies on a dollar compared to my competitors. Taking that a step further, I'm in the restaurant business. I source ingredients all over the world. We import superfoods. So I went down to Brazil. I worked with the factories directly and I created my own import company that imports superfoods solely for Everbowl so I could reduce my cost of goods because I don't need to make money as a middleman importing and selling. I just need to import for Everbowl knowing that we're going to use all of our product and therefore I now created another company inside of the organization, another division, so to speak, but it's an, it's its own entity um, that supports the main core business, which reduces my cost of goods. So all my stores become more profitable, which allows me to buy more, more product to continue that self-fulfilling prophecy. So I'm vertically integrating my, my consumables. I'm vertically integrating my construction arm from there. We then also took it a step further and started creating our, our own CPG products, like our super fuel coffee, the world's first acai infused coffee. Because in a way, I have my own private equity incubator firm. I get to see 10,000 customers a day. I can introduce them to whatever product I want in my stores. And I'm importing all of this acai. So I import all this acai. I sell it as acai. But I also now infuse it into coffee. And now I'm selling it via that. I'm also now able to sell that online and start generating sales outside my four walls. 
and utilize my digital marketing background to leverage the computer. And, you know, even on a podcast like this, someone can buy Superfuel coffee by going to amazon.com. So I'll pause. Everyone should go to Amazon and buy Superfuel coffee. Uh, um, but there are a lot of entrepreneurs who need coffee, mate. I can yeah, tell you. That. And I recommend <laughs> Superfuel coffee from Everbull if you get it on Amazon. Uh, but realistically, what I've done now is as I've now been able to sink my teeth into growing these offshoots that all support my core business. Nothing I'm doing is a distraction because it only is done to support Everbull. Um, and if it doesn't support Everbull, I don't do it. But they are separate companies. So in their own right, it, let's say, for example, you come up with a business model, um, some sort of product market fit, which is outside of it. But you could effectively sell one of these companies if it caught fire. It caught fire in a good way. 100%. It's not just the infrastructure of Everbowl that's all encompassing within, within that piece. Correct. Yes. And we bring on talent to support that. I know nothing about construction. I, I could barely put Legos together. Um, but I found and you, definitely, you definitely wanted to do the startup route as opposed to the acquisition route on this. Only because that's what I'm good at. Um, yep. not for any other reason. And because to be honest, I don't like to do things the way everyone else does. So my construction arm, we build restaurants different than everyone else. I posed to my team a problem. And the problem was why does it cost restaurants so much money to build? And that's because you're one-offing everything. Number two, I said, why can Ikea build furniture in a box? but we can't build a restaurant in a box. So we set out to actually be disruptive. We don't create these offshoots just to be same as everyone else. Our WeBuild facility, it's called WeBuild Stuff is the name of our company. We can build and we fabricate and manufacture a restaurant offsite. We can install it in seven days onsite. Um, I can open stores in under 45 days for very inexpensive. And as a result, we're getting approached by restaurants, haircut salons, um, other types of companies. To That's see kind of where I was going because I think yeah. if you've got a model which you know reduces the friction both from a time or cost perspective, you know, in terms of you know that, then that's massive, right? Because that can be pivoted towards multiple industries, multiple sectors. Exactly, and yeah. more importantly, though, it's allowed me to do for Everbull. Now that we just started selling franchises, my competitors to open a competitor-like franchise to mine will cost a franchisee a quarter of a million dollars. We're offering franchises of Everbowl for $100,000. All in. That includes build-out, training, franchise fees, inventory. It's unheard of. But I can build their restaurant for so cheap for them, and I don't need to make any money doing it because as a franchisor, I make my money on royalties. I make my money on being a franchisor. And supply chain, I'd imagine the rest of it as well. Yeah. Exactly. Where did you help with the cost of goods. So it's just all going into this vertically integrated vehicle that what did you, I, let's go into the because i like to go into the into the where this came from piece again because it helps it helps to understand the journey so vertical where, where did you get inspired by that concept with the recruiting agency in my payroll business that right. moment when i looked back at what allowed my payroll business to really grow was two things one i was able to sell a lot of new clients but two i was able to help my clients that when i sold a client they grew with me and i was trying to identify because like i always had this like when I first opened my first restaurant, I know nothing about restaurants. I would sit there and I'd scratch my head and go, how do I get more customers to walk into the store? How do I get more people in here? Like all restaurateurs. Then I realized, wait a second, I'm seeing 150 people a day. How do I get them to spend one extra dollar when they're here? They're already coming in. I don't have to go find new customers. I just got to see if I can give them more value to make them want to spend more money with me. And then the light bulb went off, which was, wait, I did this with the recruiting thing, not even realizing it that what I was doing. And so I kind of learned and tested this concept a little bit there and then compounded and said, okay, how can I turn my business upside down? How can I look at what are my repeatable problems? 
that I'm dealing with again and again and again and again and again that I can solve by creating a new entity or division or potentially acquire within. And when I started to look at it from that perspective, I started to see the puzzle. I started to see the, the overarching what I needed to do because I'm in the business. I'm feeling the repeatable problems. Like I'm not going to create my own plastic manufacturer because I don't consume enough plastic to make that make sense. I'm not going to, you know, buy my own farm to grow blueberries because I'm not consuming enough and I don't want to get into that business. Um, I did go one step too far. I did create my own logistics division where we were self-distributing to our stores. And then I realized I wanted nothing to do with that business. Um, so we closed that down because that, that requires massive scale to turn profitable. And I just wasn't going to have the scale. Um, I mean, also in terms of disruption there, because as you said, everything you've done has disrupted the existing model. Did you have an idea of how you could disrupt that logistic model? Or was it just kind of actually all I'm doing is just trying to do it? Well, at first it was, I was going to disrupt it because new restaurants don't self-distribute. So my thought was I'll self-distribute and then I'll go and distribute to all my competitors because I already have all the same products on my, on my thing and I'll make money after every product that's sold at anyone that buys in this sector. So I was going to target just my likes. So juice shops, smoothie bowls, um, health and wellness shops, because I'm already carrying all the fresh fruit and vegetables. And so it was like, well, I can add a few more onto the truck and almost then just go attack that one little niche inside of it. Um, but it, it, it was way too big of an undertaking with gasoline prices and routes and traffic jams and trucks and cars and insurance and gas and freezers. And not, uh, not to mention, it sounds like you've got a lot on already. <laughs> not to mention, it sounds like I go, and it's hard to find someone passionate about that. We're in construction. There's so many construction qualified people who don't want to run their own construction company because they don't want to get into the sales side. They don't, they're not good at business. They just want to build stuff. Well, my attitude is you're great at building stuff. I'm great at running companies. Let's join. Come be the CEO or the, you're an executive of this construction arm and you get to have all the thrill of doing what you do without any of the negative and I'll be the guy to do all the things you don't want to do and I'll lead with the broom. And whatever it is that you don't like to do, I'll put team members around. Just help me solve the, can we become the Ikea of restaurant furniture? Can we figure out how to disrupt how we're doing it to where I can ship a store on a pallet? So we opened a store in San Francisco. We shipped up our entire store from San Diego and we installed it in six days. Um, it's in Union Square. We did, we did a deal with Macy's and when Macy's saw us do that, it, their heads exploded. And they then were like, can you open in like 23 other Macy's? And we did the same thing with the San Diego Padres at the stadium. They said to us, when we signed the deal April 2nd of last season, they said, okay, it's going to take two months for us to build your stand. I'm like, no, 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 we'll build it. And they're like, okay, it's going to take two months. So we'll have you here next season. I'm like, no, I'll be ready in one week. And they looked at me like I was speaking a different language. One week later, we installed in the stadium. And then they offered us to see if we could price out and basically give them a quote to rebuild 18 of their concession stands for this upcoming season because they were blown away at what WeBuild was able to do. And from there, it propelled us now into stadiums and all these other cool little verticals. But you do take on different business, even though you said beforehand, these businesses are set up to support Everbowl. Well, we didn't. So I turned it all down for the longest right. time. Um, only actually about a month ago, I did our first outside deal with the construction arm. Uh, it's for a charity called uh, Model Citizen Fund. Mm -hmm. And we're building give and take closets for them so they can give them away as charitable items uh, because it was a cause I believed in. and. Um, it wasn't a distraction. We can use our equipment like we were able to do it. I'm actually also, I'm lying. I just did a second one. Uh, we're, do, we're building a podcast studio for, for a company um, because it's a simple job and we're able to do it. And 
you know, I think as we grow our band, as our bandwidth improves and there is bandwidth, then we'll fill it with outside work. Um, and it's also exciting, but I never want to take my eye off the prize, which is everybody will take priority. Always. So let's go into, um, let's go into building teams. Yes. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to everything you're saying, Jeff, and I'm listening to the undercurrent <laughs> as I do. Right. And you know, there's, there's a superpower here, not just about making friends and selling and all that stuff. There's about bringing the right people together and that, cause I always say the definition of scale up is the ability to build teams and build culture. Mm-hmm. And most people don't get that because two people in a shed is very different to a hundred people or more in an office or whatever that is. So what's, what's your secret there? Cause you've obviously done it effectively. You've built it, you've identified talent and you've managed to bring it through. So take me through how you do that and how you think about that. So I, I first lose the ego. Um, that's the most important. It's the hardest one. It took me a while to learn, but I've, feel like I've gotten to the point now where I'm very comfortable accepting where I'm strong and where I'm not. If I'm the best at something, I'm going to do it um, in in the organization. But I want to be the dumbest guy in the room. And I don't say that like dumb as in the word dumb. I say that because it's an easy thing to remember and say, but it's more, I want to be surrounded by people better than me at everything where all I have to do is clean the toilets and sweep. And the reason I use that analogy is because in the restaurant space, when you ask your employees, what do you want to clean? No one wants to sweep and no one wants to do the toilets. So my thought is, okay, I'll do that because I don't really care. I just want the company to succeed. So culture is everything. And since the two rules, we have 430 employees at Everable. Um, and there's two rules. They all know them. It's make friends and have fun. I, I wasn't lying. Like those are literally the two rules. Are they your um, values? Would you call them personal values? They are. Or, they are. Yeah. And, 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 it, and I like to say things simple that have much bigger meaning. And on the surface, everyone goes, yeah, that doesn't tell me anything. And I'm like, that's not true. When you make friends with someone and you're scheduled to show up at four o'clock and work with a friend, do you show up on time? Of course you do. You don't leave your friend, you know, you don't show up an hour late and leave your friend at the movie theater or at the restaurant. You won't leave them at your job. You know, you're going to treat everyone with respect. You're going to treat customers with respect if you're having fun. So making friends and having fun is all of the things we expect our employees to do and how we expect them to behave. Um, But additionally, it attracts good talent. When talent comes in and knows that, that I want them to be the show, I want to give them credit. So like, this make friends and have fun concept. I had one restaurant and I knew that I needed to build teams. I can't be the guy to scale and train. I'm not sophisticated enough to do that. I don't have that expertise. So I brought in a guy named Brian Augustine. He came from Trader Joe's and I gave him the freedom to be great. I didn't tell him how to do his job, which too many entrepreneurs do. It's a mistake. Don't do this mistake. You don't bring on an expert and tell them, but do it this way because then they're not an expert. You might as well bring in an entry level person that you want to execute your strategy. I said, Brian, I have two rules here. Make friends and have fun. Can you build the culture how you see fit using the tools that you know of and the strategies that you've always wanted to implement using your expertise of 14 years at Trader Joe's? And the answer was yes. So he built out Everbull University. He built out our training curriculum. He built out the how we interview, hire, train, and develop. And he is our chief development officer. And he took my two rules as his North Star, but the how he got us there was totally up to him and I stay the hell out of his way and I say to him if you make a mistake it's my fault don't worry about it pick yourself up and let's keep going and he built our entire culture so while I might sit here and be the face that you're talking to he deserves all the credit for that not me and that empowered him to love what he's doing and attract great people and the same thing goes for every other department and division within the organization which is if you're in a position of leadership in our company I expect you to lead I don't expect you to ask me how to get there if I knew how to get there, trust me, I would be doing it. Um, I can say this is the direction we're going 
but it's up to you as a leader to do it. And don't worry about making mistakes because everyone has this fear of failure. And I'm like, let's fail fast. Just don't do it twice. You make a mistake once, it's a mistake. You make a mistake twice, it's on purpose because you didn't learn from it. And if you learn from it, you pick yourself up and you keep going. And we found another way that doesn't work. No big deal. Um, and that's been how I built the teams and, and attract really good people to come because they see our culture and they understand, wait, I get to come and try what I want to try. Yes, you do. And you, get you to recognize, framework. You, you recognize though, this is not normal. So, <laughs> so, you know, I, I work with hundreds of people <laughs> all over the place, you know, your neck of the woods and here in the UK, I'm obviously originally from Australia with my crazy accent. Um, <laughs> Sounds and, by the way. Yeah. Well, there you go. You know, it's good fun. But the, um, you know, even as of yesterday, I was with um, a couple of founders of a very, very awesome business. I mean, that business is going to sell one day for a lot of money. And they're trying to move into their own identity as leaders. You know, and, and you can see, you know, you can see that I, I'll, I'll present a concept similar to what we're talking about here, almost exactly verbatim of what you just said. Mm-hmm. You know, provide the vision, provide a little bit of the kind of framework, but then get out of the way. Yeah. The natural tendency for lots of entrepreneurs, particularly startup guys, is they just want to get into it. They want to, no, 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 get out of the way. I'm going to move you and I'm going to do it. And then they get all stressed and they realize why these good people are leaving them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, I, I just want to make the point on the show because, because a lot of people like, you know, this is a key piece. What you've just said. I was, guilty of this. I was guilty of this in my payroll business. Truly. Like I remember it, it, it took a, ma- a moment of, of true humility where I kept saying, why are all these amazing people leaving? Why are these opportunities? What are we doing? What's going on? Whose fault is it? And I was looking in the mirror and then I realized, what's the common denominator here? Me. I'm the common denominator. I am subconsciously doing something that's hurting the growth that I'm trying to accomplish. And I realized I had this ego, this fear that if I wasn't the one who was responsible and get the credit, then I would be questioned as a leader. I would be questioned as the CEO and founder. I would be questioned as the guy who, who had to have the ideas and I'd be a fake. And I realized that's just silly because Steve Jobs at Apple didn't create the iPhone. He's the face of the company. He gets all the credit, but he's not the guy who actually did it, right? Somebody else did it. Um, and and you, you start to realize that, how did he get there? He inspired and then I realized, what do I care about credit for? If I give credit to my team and I build them up, they'll fight through tooth and nail for this company and the vision. And I'll get to join them and be on a magical team. And being a sports fan, you then start to look at all the best teams. And it's usually not the best player that, players that win. It's the best team that wins. And, and if you really take the moment to actually appreciate that concept with, with your heart, you're going to say, oh, my gosh, why is my ego so big and what does it matter? I want you, see, to you, see, you see it all the time. I used to always say, I don't even know where this quote came from, but it was a, a champion team beats a team of champions. And you yeah. see it all the time, don't you? You do. You really time. do. And, and it, it's so true in business. And I was guilty of it. Maybe it was my youth. Maybe it was my inexperience. Maybe it was my ego, a mixture of all three, dangerous combination. Um, but now I'm at the point where I would rather see my company soar. And, and if, I am, if everyone says, yeah, but Jeff, you didn't do anything except put the pieces in place. Okay. <laughs> Great. Well, that's the Amazing. job. That's Thank the job you. of a leader. That's the job yeah. of someone who's kind of, you know, who has, who has that role. The role's hard, right? You know, as, I, as people say, it is lonely, but you've got to have, you've got to have confidence, conviction. And as we said beforehand, you've got to have authenticity and the, the ability to kind of, you know, trust all of these, these are kind of almost, you know, concepts, emotional concepts, but you've got to be really strong to do the job. 
You do. That's, that's the base. And it's hard because you have so many personalities. But I can tell you, if, you, if you're building a team or a company, my feedback is most employees, and this is what I learned in my recruiting and payroll days, most employees don't leave just for more money. When we were trying to recruit talent, money was not the number one reason why people change jobs. And I thought it would be, for sure. If you would ask me, I would say, you give someone more money, they'll change jobs. No problem. Let's just pay them more money. It's not. They want to be inspired about what they do and they want to enjoy it, their lifestyle style on a daily basis. So if you give them the freedom to, to put, inject themselves into the organization, see their initiatives and their causes and their, they feel like that's theirs and they don't speak with, when, they, when, when their nomenclature changes from you to we as a company, you win. They feel part of it, whether they have equity or not. They'll, they'll act like they do. Oh, it becomes, it's, it's the you. It's the, the the terminology around mission and things like that. You know, it's not it's not a job. It's 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 a greater purpose. Yes. And you know, I used to work in marketing and branding, and we used to talk about common purpose all the time. You know, if you go to places like Disney, whether you, whether you like what that is and what it isn't, they they do very well in that place because they have people who understand what the mission is. Can I ask you, because um, obviously all, all great leaders don't just become that. <laughs> they, they, they get in different rooms, as we were just talking about. Um, mentors, you know, people who have guided you, you know, what, what's been some of, some of those experiences and who's, who's had the biggest impact on kind of helping you through this journey? Great question. Um, I always have had mentors. I have always had coaches. Um, I think another huge mistake by people in business is they think they don't need a mentor or coach because they're successful. Um, LeBron James has a coach. Michael Jordan had a coach. Tiger Woods had a coach. Uh, Tom Hanks had an actor, uh, an acting coach. So whether you're the peak of your craft, you still have someone there to mentor or coach you because they give you perspective. They hold you accountable. They, they, they challenge your way of thinking. Um, so my entire life, I've had mentors. Uh, my biggest and lifelong mentor is a guy named David Meltzer. Um, I'm actually, hey Dave. Hey Dave. <laughs> yeah. hey um, I'm actually, we're actually co-writing a book together, which is going to be published in July. Um, my first book and his eighth, seventh or eighth. Um, but what's so cool about it is it's actually about mentorship, the long game, because I've known Dave since I was five years old or four years old, and he was a teenager in high school. Our, our moms were, were best friends. And fast forward the journey, he got into business after law school, and I interned at all of his companies, and he acted as a mentor for me, guiding me. And then he became the CEO of Lee Steinberg Sports Agency. Ergo, I was going in to be a sports agent. I went to law That's school because Dave suggested I go to law school so I could then pursue my, my at the time, thought of being a sports agent and join him. Um, and you follow our journey, but I can tell you besides Dave, I've had other mentors. I always look for them. When I got into the restaurant space, I reached out to the restaurateur uh, ex experts in, in my area. Uh, one's David Cohn from Cohn restaurant group. Another one's Ralph Rubio from Rubio's because I want to surround myself with smart people who have forgotten more about the industry than I'll ever learn. But having a mentor is so critical. And sometimes I call Dave and I don't take his advice. Don't confuse having a mentor with having someone who's going to tell you what to do because they're different. Dave's going to poke holes in my theories. He's going to listen to me ramble. Sometimes he doesn't even say a word. He'll answer the phone and I'll go down to some topic. And I, if you haven't noticed from this, I can talk for a while. Um, and I start talking. And then through having to explain myself to him, I come up with my own solution. And I'm like, dude, thank you so much. And he's like, I didn't say anything. I'm like, I know. And that was good enough because he knows my journey, right? I love it. But he's there. And, and, and I know how I have to speak to him to explain it to him. And when you're forced to actually articulate what your strategy or thought is to someone else, 
it forces you to go to another layer deeper than you do in your head. And doing that out loud makes you sometimes hear what you're saying and go, wait a second, light bulb, and you start to have that. Or he'll poke holes, or he'll say, dude, I think that's the right move. I mean, I'll tell you, he has told me not to do things that I've done and I've been successful. He's told me not to do things that I've done and I've failed. He's not gonna, a mentor is not gonna keep you from making mistakes or, or prevent you from not doing something that you should. They're gonna be there just as another piece of information in your journey. And as you're navigating the unknown waters of entrepreneurship or running a company, uh, there's no playbook. So having those people, those trusted advisors around you, that team, that counsel, that builds your, your brain power and your mindset and your connections. I mean, Dave introduces me to so many people and opportunities. David Cohn uh, from Cohn Restaurant Group helped me get into Costco as a mentor. Uh, he was like, yeah, I'm trying to get my gift cards into Costco. He's like, oh, I know someone at Costco. He called Costco. He got me in. I called for almost a year and couldn't get in. They kept hanging. They literally, I couldn't navigate the bureaucracy of Costco. One phone call from a mentor who I allowed into my inner circle because I valued their opinion. And all of a sudden I got in. So I got to, I got to the cheat code to get in and it amplified my business and vice versa. As a mentor, I mentor mentees as well, because I think it's important that you pay it forward. Um, so I'm a mentor at the San Diego State's Lavin School of Entrepreneurship now. And I work with these young aspiring entrepreneurs and I try to give them the same things I'm receiving because that's, we're in a fraternity as, as business owners and entrepreneurs. Like it's a, it's a fraternity of men and women who are running companies. And while we might compete or we might be in the same industry, that doesn't matter. I mean, a rising tide lifts all boats. I can help and you can help and let's do this together. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, that was amen, firstly, because that was a great summary of, you know, I mean, I talk about this a lot in the show um, because actually what's interesting is after what, 60 odd episodes now and some amazing people have come on. So Neil's been on the show, you know, Dave, there is a common thread, not always the same, right? But there's a common thread of what successful people do who have both achievement and fulfillment. And I'm not just talking about scaling businesses. I'm talking about adding value, making a wider contribution. And, you know, being in a different room is one of those things. Putting yourself in a room where you're, you're not the smartest guy in the room, right? Um, having people around you who can challenge you, hold you to account. Having a, an ethos around constantly having improvements in your own personal and professional developments. You know, that sort of growth mindset. All of these things are what underpin success in the stuff that we're talking about. So you, you've literally just kind of backed that up, but you've articulated that piece particularly well particularly well. So what's, what's next for Jeff Fenster? What's next for, I'm going to talk about Everbowl, but what, what, where, where are you going? I'd like you to articulate if you can, the vision, not, not just for the business, but for you. Uh, so for me, so I'm transitioning now uh, more into, especially in today's world about um, the importance of building both my company brand, but my personal brand. Uh, yeah. This was articulated while I was against this for a while. Um, I was trying to hide behind my companies because I don't want to have my face too tied to any one business because I don't plan on being there for 30 years and I don't want the company to suffer if I'm not there anymore. But sometimes that happens if the face of, is no longer, it's too synergistic. Um, and one of my mentors challenged my thinking and they said, who's the CEO of American Airlines? I was like, I don't know. He's like, who's the CEO of Southwest Airlines? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, who's the CEO of Virgin? I know that. And he did the same thing with the car industry. He asked me about Honda and Toyota, and then he asked me about Tesla. And he's like, in today's world, you've got to start your personal branding side. It's so important because it's never been more important for people to get behind the why than the what. So why you do what you do matters so much more to the consumer today than what you do and what you stand for. So Everbull, my brand, 
Jeff Fenster, the personal brand had to be built. So I started to do speaking. Um, I did a course with LinkedIn Learning, which is coming out. I did a course with Forbes to be an instructor in entrepreneurship. Um, I'm writing the book, as I mentioned, with David Meltzer. Um, I'm launching my own podcast called Unwinding Success. Um, nice. And I'm, we'd love to interview you on it. Got to ask Perfect. you. Perfect. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, no, I have to commit to it. Yeah, that's fine. Yes. <laughs> but with the idea that I want to interview people that, that have been successful and unwind what made them successful and, and, and provide tactics to my, my audience that says, this is what makes, not just in business, but in life, uh, successful sports athletes, mothers, fathers, business owners, employees. I think employees that are, some people are not meant to start businesses and they're not meant to run businesses. They're meant to be an employee. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't still be the best at what you do mm-hmm. and extremely successful and passionate be part of the team. And, um, you know, I, I like to dig, dig into this. Is one of the topics that I find fascinating is the word entrepreneurship is so broad. I'm an entrepreneur. Well, what kind? It's like saying you're a doctor. Are you a heart surgeon or are you an orthopedist? Because I don't want to go to the heart surgeon for a broken leg and I don't want to go to the orthopedist for a heart. Um, what kind of entrepreneur? And I defined mine as serial entrepreneur because that's the kind of doctor I am. Um, but there's employee entrepreneurs, which are yeah. number twos, threes, fours, five, sixes who join startup companies or join uh, early stage companies without a blueprint, without processes already in place. And they need to come build the team like Brian Augustine at, at my company. He's not the founder who came up with the vision and the idea, but he joined me and built our entire development side of our business. So he's an entrepreneur. He might not call himself one because he didn't start the company, but he's wrong. He's an entrepreneurial employee who wouldn't work well in a true, I mean, he would, he's amazing, but he might not be wired to work in a big bureaucratic company. Um, so I, I love talking about that. I know I took your question off on a side tangent, but it, I'm passionate about it. Sorry. Um, and then the, the, the vision for you, <laughs> I tell you what, I, let me, let me give you some context to the question just to kind of also to bring you back to it Please. is, is vision. I, whenever I work with somebody, right, be that a business that's in whatever stage. Okay. Even the big ones, even the ones that are turning over eight, nine figures, whatever's going on. Right. Um, I always start with vision because when people get lost, it's not normally because they've lost, it's not confidence. It's not ability. It's that they've lost direction. They don't know where they're going. So therefore they can't look back. So I'm curious how you think about this question more than, more than actually the answer. Cause I want, I want people to understand your take on it. Sure. Um, well my core business and my core vision is still to help and create the unevolved lifestyle. Uh, that's my why that's what I started Everable for. Um, that was the word I created and trademarked and it's to move and eat the way we were meant to, to live actively and eat stuff that's been around forever. Um, so I'm literally, I wear an Everable shirt almost every day. I usually have a backwards hat on, but, um, I didn't today. So, um, <laughs> but it's all about unevolved for me and promoting the unevolved lifestyle, helping people eat and move the way they were meant to. And let's reverse this trend of disease, I'll call it the four big diseases that are plaguing us that are um, 80% of it is lifestyle driven. Let's start to be healthy and be our best self. Because when you're your best self and you feel good, you perform good. When you perform good, you have success and you're happy. Um, And so my vision is that. And everything at Everbowl is about that and promoting that. And that's kind of when I mentioned like why we did the Model Citizen Fund charity deal for WeBuild was because I had a heartstring with that because that was helping promote people to have access to healthy food and access to, to things that are going to make them better. Um, I'm in a position in life where I care more about that and that's been my drive. Um, and so that's what I like to speak on is helping people be their best self through an unevolved lifestyle. 
And so I get back to that. When I get lost or I'm not sure what I'm doing and I find myself running frantic all around, I just repivot my mind back to, is this helping me promote an unevolved lifestyle to someone? If the answer is yes, that, I'll keep going. Does that change? So, you know, that's a really strong why. Let's say, for example, one day Everbowl has hundreds and hundreds of outlets and franchises and everything else and you sell the business and, you know, you're a billionaire and all these cool things are going on. How does that vision, does it change? Or are you going to move on to the next thing, which also sort of moves in that same space? I mean, I might do a different business that doesn't, but that why is who I am. I mean, outside of my family, uh, health and wellness, and I'm a bit of a hypochondriac. I've always been afraid of disease. Um, And it's the number one thing that derails anyone is health. I mean, it's the most important asset we all have. um, And we've got to protect it. And I'm not smart enough to create the next iPhone or the flying cars or take us to the moon, <laughs> but I can do my part to help. And, and I, if I, if my legacy in the, that I leave on this planet in front of my kids is Jeff was someone who always tried to help everyone be better. I'm good with that. And so, um, I'm in a position in life. I don't have to kill what I eat every day. So I'm in a, in a position that I can do more of what I want to do versus what I air quote have to do. And I want to help that. So Will I start other companies that have nothing to do with Unevolve? Yes, I love business too much, but I will always be focused on that, whether it's through charitable work or through speaking or through donating money and effort and time. Um, that's just, it's just too meaningful to me. And I think it's something that's reversible. And the fact that we're not reversing it because um, just the way the, the world is set up today, it's not designed for health and wellness. It's designed for convenience and for big business to stay big business. I want to like, like equity-based crowdfunding, I want to I wanna move the needle. Awesome. Well, listen, Jeff, you've been very generous with your time, mate. And that's, it's been awesome, honestly. Um, so many different perspectives. The, the, thing I, the thing I like to do on these particular types of episodes is just let you, let people kind of go where they want to go. As you can see, I'm just going to curate it. That's my job. But um, just to sort of finish off, where can people find you if they want to connect with you, ask you questions, all that sort of stuff? Yeah. Uh, Instagram at Fenster Jeff, my last name, first name, um, Facebook, LinkedIn. Those are all great places. I could, you can email me connect at jefffenster.com. I love to meet new people. So never be shy to reach out. If you have suggestions for me, I, I take them very kindly. If you have questions, I'm happy to answer. If, um, if you have an idea that you want to work together on something, I love it. So please don't be shy. Anything and everything I'm open to and criticism okay. too. If you tell me, uh, Hey, call me on my bullshit. Go ahead. <laughs> we don't get too much of that. I get a, I get that a bit sometimes, but I'm used to it now. It kind of, you know, water off a duck's back. Yeah. Well, listen, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on Scale Up Your Business today. As I said, it's been a fantastic show and I very much enjoyed the conversation. Well, thank you again. It was truly an honor. I've been a fan of your show uh, ever since we met and started listening. And um, I want to thank you again for the opportunity and to meet you and your audience on the show. And again, this has been truly, truly an experience. So thank you. 